0: Father, I ask this morning that you would move. That you would have your way. That you would speak into the hearts of men, women, and children that are here today. And we would be radically changed by your word. God, that we would have something that burns down deep inside of us that cannot be contained. That not even death itself can calls us to fear. God, I pray that you would move and that you would be exalted and that your people would be edified this morning. That the nations would be impacted by what happens here in the lives of your people. That we would not be satisfied with just mere Western Christianity. But God, we would be impacted in such a way with a passion for your glory that we take it to the nations, that we go to the ends of the earth with your salvation, making you known. So Father, have your way. In Jesus' name, amen. Psalm chapter 150 is the launching pad for our missional call, and then that will be fleshed out in our, as we see this encounter of Jesus with this adulterous Samaritan woman in John chapter 4. And so I want to read for you Psalm 150. You don't have to turn there, just listen. Praise the Lord. Praise God in His sanctuary. Praise Him in His mighty heavens. Praise Him for His mighty deeds. Praise Him according to His excellent greatness. Praise Him with the trumpet sound. Praise Him with the lute and the harp. Praise Him with tambourine and dance. Praise Him with strings and pipe. Praise Him with sounding cymbals. Praise Him with loud clashing cymbals. Let everything that has breath Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Amen? Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. David Platt in the 2011 Pastors Conference of Desiring God said this. There are an estimated 17,000 people groups on the planet. And God deserves praise from every single one of them. Yet thousands of these people groups have yet to be reached with the gospel. Hundreds of millions of men and women who have rebelled against the sovereign glory of God have never heard about the saving grace of God. And so, church, I ask us today, what are you going to do about it? Don't blank stare back at me. What are you and I going to do with the millions of men and women who have never heard of the gospel of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ? What are we going to do about that? Not sure if you know this or not, Christian, but that's your call. That is the call on your life that God's glory would reach to the ends of the earth. Did you know that you were created for one purpose in life? For the glory of God. Now, if you were in the lamplighters or if you were in Chris's discipleship class several weeks back, then you probably know where I'm headed right now. And so I'm just, bear with me for just a moment for everybody else to catch up. You see, the Bible says in John chapter 4, verse 4, this, and I couldn't, I kept dwelling on this one passage. In my quiet time, I like to take just one thing and just kind of focus on it, you know, just meditate and chew on it. And this one verse killed me all week long almost. It says this, and he, meaning Jesus, had to pass through Samaria. Seems insignificant, doesn't it? He had to pass through Samaria? Okay, well, he was going from one place to another, and Samaria's in between there, so yeah, he had to go through there, but geographically, that sentence doesn't make sense. You see, there was another route That the Jews had designed for them to go around Samaria because they didn't like them. So Jesus, technically speaking, geographically speaking, did not have to go through Samaria. And so I began to ponder. Well, why does the text say he had to go through Samaria if he didn't have to go through Samaria? Here's the reason why. It's the reason that you were created It's the reason that you're here today. And it is the reason for why you will breathe your very next breath when you leave this place today. Isaiah chapter 48, verses 9 through 11 says this. For my name's sake, I defer my anger. For the sake of my praise, I restrain it for you that I may not be cut off. Behold, I have refined you, but not as silver. I have tried you in the furnace of affliction. For my own sake... For my own sake I do it. For how should my name be profaned? My glory I will not give to another. God created the universe. He created people for this great point that his glory would go forth. Adam and Eve in the garden. Isaiah 43, 6 and 7 says, Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created, for my glory. There are no accidents created for his glory. The idea of Genesis 1:28, and God telling his creation, Adam and Eve, to procreate, to multiply, to fill the earth was that they would go out and that the whole earth would be surrounded with the Garden of Eden, and it and they and all of their children would gladly reflect back to God, his beauty and his infinite worth. He repeats that very same phrase in Genesis chapter 9, verse 1, be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth because he started all over again. Now a whole whole new group of people take and spread out my glory over the face of the earth. I don't have time to go over every text because it's from the beginning of the Bible to the end. God calls Abram which Israel arises out of Abram. They are called to be a light to the nations. Isaiah 49.3, You are my servant Israel in whom I will be glorified. I love that. It's not maybe. It's not if. I will be glorified through my servant. Jeremiah 13.11, I have made the whole house of Israel and the whole house of Judah cling to me, declares the Lord, that they might be For me a people, a name, a praise, and a glory. Isaiah 49, 6, God says, Is it too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel? I will make you as a light for the nations. Why? Why am I going to make you a light to the nations, Israel? So that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. God does everything that he does for his own glory. He saved you for his glory. If you're a Christian here this morning, you've been born again by the blood of Jesus Christ. You were saved not to sit in this church and be happy and get fat on the word of God. You were saved so that God's glory, his salvation would be made known throughout the world. Not only does God do everything he does for his own glory, but the son, his son, Jesus, did everything that he did for the glory of his father. Jesus is a a young man, and his parents can't find him, and what happens? They go back, and where's Jesus? He's in the temple. What's he doing? He's teaching. Hey, did you not know that I would be about my father's business? And then we find out what that is through Jesus' life, and we come to John chapter 17, and it says this. Jesus said, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. I made you known. I made your name famous on the earth. He came to glorify the Father by seeking out those who would bring glory and honor and praise to His Father's name. And the reason He did that was because Jesus sees the world a little bit differently than we do. He saw people in light of God's great redemptive plan to make worshipers of all nations. That there would be a people for his praise, a people for his namesake who would enjoy him forever. And so Jesus is compelled. He has compassion on the lost. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent! how often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you would not have it. He wanted them to glorify the Father. He wanted them to worship Him. And He's broken over their rebellious hearts. But Jesus knows if I didn't go, they will spend an eternity in a devil's hell without any hope of knowing God. He had to go, church. He had to go to Samaria The name and the glory of His Father are at stake. There are worshipers of God to be made in that city, and He had to go. Guess what? The glory of God should be the reason that you and I do everything that we do. Y'all had to see that coming, right? If God does everything that He does for His glory and the Son does everything for His glory, then everything that you and I do must be for the glory of the Father. 1 Corinthians tells us very plainly whether you eat or drink, very basic necessities of life, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, what? Do it all to the glory of God. You have been saved to make much of God. Not much of this church, not much of America, you have been called, you have been redeemed, you have been sanctified, you are being sanctified, you are being made holy for the purpose of bringing glory to God so that you can be a light to the nations so they will worship Him. If you've been around me much, you know that I love the first question of the Westminster Catechism. The chief end of man is to glorify God by enjoying Him forever. So I ask you this morning, what are you living for? Are you living for the moment? Carpe diem. Seize the day. I'm living for right now. Are you living for the next exciting adventure or vacation or the next purchase that you're going to make? What are you living your life day in and day out for? Are you living to make much of the American dream? Or much of God? God? I don't know where you are this morning, many of you. But my God will not share his glory with anyone else or anything else. He doesn't want part of you. He wants all of you. He wants every fiber to love the Lord our God with what? Just my foot? Just my right hand, my left hand? No, love the Lord our God with what? Every fiber fabric of our being, not just your head, not just your heart, your soul, everything. I want you to notice something about this woman. Immediately, she raises an issue with Jesus. We're going to be looking at verses 7 through 10. If you haven't figured out by now, I'm not going every word and every sentence, and we're going to jump around a little bit here, so bear with me. John chapter 4, verses 7 through 10. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. And Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. And the Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. That's John interacting with us there. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Immediately this woman sees that there's an issue, a racial tension that exists here between Jews and Samaritans. You see, the Jews... Saw the Samaritans as worthless dogs, who had no value in life. They were a mixed people. They were the result of Assyria coming in and then dumping out prisoners, and they intermingling with the Jews. And so, through a Jew, they were worthless. They were the outcasts. They were the enemies. And this woman knows that. Not only that, but this wo- she is a woman. And Jesus is engaging her in conversation. But not only is she a Samaritan woman, but she's a Samaritan woman who is also an adulteress. Jesus tells her, go call your husband. She says, I have no husband. He goes, you have said rightly, you've had five, and the one that you're living with now is not even your husband. And yet Jesus stops and takes the time, and I don't know if you know this text very well, but it actually says that Jesus wearied, stops. I find that fascinating. I'll get back to that later. Nothing is going to stop Jesus from getting to Samaria to have a conversation with this woman that's an outcast from society because God wants worshipers of all nations. There is such hostility, but Jesus doesn't see it that way. He saw a person that was dead in their trespasses and sins. A person in need of salvation. You see, the Bible tells us in Romans chapter 3 that there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none who seek after God. The chief end of man is to glorify God, and yet that is the furthest thing from man's mind. They don't want God. They don't seek after God. They don't desire the things of God. There's a sin problem that exists within our lives outside of Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4 says this, The God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. They're blind. They don't know God. They don't want to know God. They're blinded to His beauty. And so Jesus has compassion on her because of her blindness. She is headed to hell and unable to do anything about it herself. And so Jesus does the only thing that he can do for her. He doesn't offer her a three-step, five-step, seven-step way to get out of the situation she's in. He says, I have something I want to give you. Me! Me! I am your only hope. Look at verse 10. If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. God declares in Jeremiah chapter 21, or chapter 2, verse 13, my people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and have dug out... Their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. That is, they have rejected God and his gift of grace. And they have substituted other things in for him. And they have trusted in things that will never, ever satisfy them. People are trusting in their gods. We live in a messed up world. Messed up world. We should not be surprised. They are blinded to the beauty of Christ. And they reject God and they elevate so many other things above Him that they worship, that they give themselves to. The living water speaks of God's grace that is mediated by the Holy Spirit into the hearts of the lost. So Jesus here wets her appetite with Himself. The living water That will satisfy every desire of your heart. Jesus. You wanna have meaning in life? You wanna have significance in life? Jesus is the answer. He's the only answer to give you purpose in life. Notice verse 15. The woman says, sir, give me this water. She doesn't understand what she's asking. Just tell you, give me the water so I don't, I don't want to have to come back to this well anymore. All right, so please give me this living water that you're talking about so I'll never be thirsty again. She doesn't know what she's asking for. But she's on her way. She's still talking. And so Jesus does what? In verse 16, he says, I'm going to confront with sin in your life. You say you want the living water? You say you want that water that fills and satisfies? Let's deal with the issue of sin in your life. You have a problem that keeps you from getting to God, and it's sin, and I'm the only one who can help you. Notice what happens with us here in verse 25. Excuse me, 26. Jesus said to her, so she's asking, well, In verse 25, the woman said, I know that the Messiah is coming who is called the Christ, and when he comes, he will tell us all things. In verse 26, Jesus said to her this, I who speak to you am he. I'm the one. I'm the one that can redeem you from your sins. I'm the one that can cure whatever it is that ails your broken heart. I am the one who can remove your sins forever. I am the Messiah. And something happens inside this woman's heart. We don't know when it happens, but something happens. Somewhere in the midst of this conversation, the scales fall off her eyes that have blinded her for years to the beauty and the glory of Christ. And they fell off and she sees Jesus as the only hope for salvation. Listen, if, our great, if the great aim of our lives is to glorify God and to point others to glorify Him, then we have to give them the hope that can only be found in Jesus Christ. We have to tell them who Jesus is. We have to confront sin in the world. There is no other way if you love people and you want to see God exalted and glorified, we have to confront sin and we have to get people to the point where they see Jesus as the only hope for their lives. And the only way you're going to engage people with the gospel is if you start seeing them the way Jesus saw them. I'm, con- I'm convinced That in the church of America, we don't see people as lost. We don't see them as dead. We see them as maybe sick. We don't see people as dead and headed to hell. Because if we did, I think there would be a little bit more urgency to our gospel call on people's lives. Preaching to myself here. I've been preaching to myself for weeks on this. Do we really believe the gospel? Do we really believe that Jesus is the only way to eternal life? Does our theology match what we do? I guess it would be more appropriate for us to ask in this church. Bible-saturated, does it meet the road when we leave here? We have to break down stereotypes, racial differences, socio-economical differences. Those walls that separate us every single day have to be torn down in the life of a believer so that we can share the love of Jesus Christ with them. The most segregated portion of our week is right now. In this country. Did you know that? It's a shame. You know why? Because one day we're all going to be standing before the throne of God, red and yellow, black and white, baby, all gathered around the throne, and every one of them in their own language, proclaiming the excellencies of God. What are you going to do about it then? Side note, I'll never forget as a young pastor of an older gentleman who came to me and said, hey, I'm thinking about leaving my church. Yeah, why is that? He's like, well, they've made this strategy where they're going to go reach out to this apartment complex that's down the road from our church and those people, they don't, they don't understand those people in those apartment complex. They don't have the money to support our building fund, and we need to be going after people that have money to support our building. I about hit the floor. I'll tell you what I want to do. I want to hit him with my Bible, of course. Are you telling me that we've gotten to a place Well, we're going to pick and choose who we think needs to hear the gospel. And Jesus is tired and wore out, and he goes to the land of the hostile enemy and says, Hey, God loves you. He wants you to be a child of his, and I'm the only way you'll get to know him. So do you see people like Jesus, Psalm? Or do we see Barbarians? we see people as trash and unclean? Do we put on our national pride and say, those people hate me and they want to kill me and so I hate them and I want God to kill them all? Perhaps you know people that live immoral. Maybe they're just people that are hard to love. Maybe they just have a bad mouth. And you just don't want to be associated with people like that. Can I say something harsh in love? Stop being a child of the devil. Because if God didn't condemn them, who are we to condemn them? God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die on a cross. For those people too. The hard hard to love. The people that are our enemies. Do you know what Acts chapter 1 verse 8 says? You will be my witnesses where? Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. That encompasses every person, by the way. There is no one left out of that. A friend of mine sent me this quote this week, and I'm so thankful because it messed me up last night as I read it, C.S. Lewis said, There are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. It is immortals whom we joke with, we work with, we marry, we snub, and we exploit. They are either immortal horrors or everlasting splendors. And all day long, we are in some degree helping each other to one or the other of these. Whether you know it or not, your life is being lived out on a stage. And people live forever. You know that? They will either die forever in hell, or they will spend eternity in heaven with God. And we are here today, and we're moving people in either one of those two directions. Where are you moving people? Jesus is the only way to eternal life. And if we want his name to be famed and his glory to fill the earth, then we have to engage people in conversations. And we should be more concerned about where that person spends eternity than anything else in the world. I don't care if they come to Lakeside. I care if they come to Jesus. We're more interested in inviting people to church than confronting them with their sin and saying, hey, God loves you. He has a purpose for your life. We should be about making disciples, not church members, people. Everything else is broken cisterns that'll never hold water. Never. It'll leave people empty and feeling insignificant and still thirsting in life. Because, see, they're made to worship. Did you know that? You're a worshipful. We're going to get to that in a minute. We are worshipful people. We are created to worship. What are we going to give them to worship? The American dream? Or are we going to give them God. We're going to give them the hope of Jesus Christ. Perhaps you're here this morning and you're searching for significance and meaning in life. Maybe you're downcast here. Maybe you're hurting. Maybe life has drug you down to the bottomless pit and you're like, I I can't even see daylight. Jesus is the only one who can save you. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one, no one, comes to the Father except through me. You see, I want to share with you the hope of Jesus this morning. See, God is holy. He is just. He is loving. And He is the ruler of the universe. And He demands to be worshiped. There's a problem. We're sinners. We're in rebellion against God. We're in direct rebellion against Him. It's not that we don't have an opinion about God. In our sin, we are adamantly opposed to Him. And because of that, because He's the King of kings and the Lord of lords and He is the ruler of the universe, we are under His just condemnation. We are at war with God in our sin. You're not indifferent to the things of God. If you're here this morning and you've never put your faith in Jesus, you're not indifferent. You're at war with him. But, but God, but God demonstrates his own love for us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Amen. Y'all should be dancing here this morning. We have hope because of Jesus Christ. God demonstrated his love. Not that you were already good, because we're not. But that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. Nobody dies for bad people. It doesn't happen. But Jesus did it so that we could have a relationship with his Father. So I ask you this morning, if you've never put your faith in Jesus, would you do that today? Would you make him Lord of your life? At the end of this service, there are going to be elders that are going to be up here. I'm going to be around. I want to talk to you. Because listen, there is no greater joy that you will have in life until you put your faith in Jesus. I don't care what you're doing in life. I don't care how rich you are. I don't care how many houses you have. I don't care what's going on in your life. You will never hear Never know the joy and the satisfaction of life until you have put your faith in Jesus. Did y'all, did y'all know Christianity is a, a religion of joy? I, I, don't, I don't know that we know that. Because we, we're, I, I gotta tell you all this, last night I'm uh, staring out the window of my office into the living room and uh, the TV was on and, and, and there's this commercial for a, a new TV show coming on. And it just blew me away. There's two people sitting in this, year in a chair, and they're sitting there like this, just like they're mad at the world, right? And the name of the show is Joy. Joy. I admit, I'm like, really, that's what our churches look like when we talk about the glories of Christ. We're not smiling, we're not happy, we're not joyful, we're not exuberant about the things of God. That commar- I just I want to record it. I wish you could see it, if you haven't seen it. It's amazing. And then put a big old mirror up here so we can look at ourselves every Sunday morning when we come to church. Are we joyful in the Lord? Are we delighting in the Lord so that it radiates out of us? You know, when Moses, this is all off script, by the way. When Moses went up on the top of the mountain and he was meeting with God, the most amazing thing happened. He spent time with God. Time, face-to-face time with God. God says, hey, Moses, because Moses is like, God, i got to see your glory. i got to see your glory. God says, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to put you into the cleft of the rock, and I'm going to hide you when I pass through. And I'm going to let you see one thing, the backside. And you know what happened when Moses, after that happened, he came down? The people were like, Moses, would you put something over your face? You're shining too great. He was radiating with the glory of God. wow, do we long for that? Do we long to spend time with God so that we radiate out? That it just shines and people are like, man, what is wrong with you? You're messed up. I long for that to happen in my life. I have been asking and begging God for months, mess me up. Mess up my affections so that I'm not satisfied with my life here on earth. I'm I'm really praying that, and and my wife's like, what are you doing? Something's got to change. You know what the definition of insanity is? To keep doing the same thing over and over and over and over again, and yet expecting different results. I have to tell my son that on the baseball field all the time. Would you please change something? Church, we got to change something. We got to do something different. If we're just going through the motions of the Christian life, people are dying and going to hell. And we have the cure. So if you're here this morning, you don't know Jesus. Yeah, that's where I was headed with that. He loves you. He loves you. He loves you so much. And he's pleading with you this morning that you would put your faith in Jesus for salvation. The living water will cause you to never thirst again. The ways of this world are going to leave you thirsty and hungry and never satisfied. But Jesus won't. And when that happens, you put your faith in Jesus Christ, then you can become a well springing up in worship. But outside of Jesus, it'll never happen. The woman's not there yet. As we catch up with her in verses 19 through 24, I know you are wondering, when am I ever going to get back to the text? right? Yeah, I've been preaching the text the whole time. 19 through 24, look at it. The woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. She's like, let's get off of that adultery thing. Let's get off of my sin. Let's, let's talk about this. This thing about worship. Verse 20, our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where we ought to worship. She's confused. I don't know what we're supposed to do, where, where we're supposed to go and worship. And Jesus said to her in verse 21, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here. When the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, here it is, for the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. She's still on the surface of her relationship with Jesus. She gets off of this one topic and she goes to this, idea, this topic of worship. And Jesus is like, I'm not caught off guard. This is exactly where I wanted this to go. That's why he's there. Remember, we started with this in the beginning. Praise the Lord. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Jesus knew where he was taking her. so that she would become a worshiper. She doesn't get it. She starts talking about, hey, we worship in this mountain, y'all worship in that mountain. Just like, the where doesn't matter. By the way, the where doesn't matter. I don't care if you worship here. You worship underneath of a tree. Doesn't matter. God is everywhere. We got these nice Padded pews sometimes, or seat chairs, whatever they are. And I think sometimes that makes us more tired if we were sitting on a hard chair listening to the word of God preached for hours upon hours. I just scared one of y'all in here, didn't I? God is seeking a people to worship him. To worship him in spirit and truth. That's why Jesus is sitting at this well. He's tired. He's wore out. He's thirsty. He's hungry. The disciples have gone in to get him food to bring it back out to him. Jesus is wore out from doing ministry. And so if you're here this morning, just as a side of encouragement, and you're pouring your life into people, and you're pouring your life into ministry to see people saved, I know you're tired. I know you're getting wore out. Persevere. Don't give up. There is a feeling that is coming. For all my Aggie friends here, I'll never forget Major Applewhite playing Texas A&M. He got food poisoning by the Aggies, I suppose. And they asked him, are you tired? You know what he said? I'll rest when I die. I will rest when I die. Man, if if Christians had that mindset, you know what? I'm going to rest when I die. I'm going to be spent for the kingdom of God while I'm alive. While I have breath within me, I'm going to be spent for the kingdom of God. So listen, if you're here and you're giving your life away and you're spending it and you're being spent, listen, I know how hard it is. Keep persevering. Keep persevering. Jesus is sitting at that well. God wants worshipers, and he doesn't want just any kind of worship. You know worship happened in the Old Testament? Not to the Father's liking. You see, there's a certain way in which he wants us to worship him, and it is in spirit and truth. And so let's look at those real quickly. Spirit, and see the Holy Spirit... When we give our lives to the Lord, the Holy Spirit comes in and He awakens our hearts to behold the beauty and the splendor of Christ. Jesus becomes for us the greatest treasure that is to be had through the work of the Holy Spirit. And so the, the, the Spirit here is the engagement of our hearts and our affections and our love and adoration toward God. John Piper has said that our spirit is the furnace that burns hot with desire for God's glory. I just love that imagery there. God wants our affections. He doesn't just want your service. Well, there's a novel thing. You know that Jesus said, if you love me, you will do what? You'll do what? Obey me. He didn't say, if you obey me, that means you love me. He said, if your affections are for me, if your love is for me, then you will obey me. Then it'll just become an outward springing forth from an adoration and a love and an affection for God. It won't be work. So we're to worship as the Spirit moves inside of our lives and causes our affections to raise up. And it's not just lip service, but we can't stop there because too many people have there's all spirit and there's no truth behind it. And so God says I want to be worshipped in spirit and in truth. That is the word of God. Jesus. Another Piper says the Bible is the fuel of our worship. I love that. I love that. You cannot truly worship God unless you've spent time with him. Did you know that? So when we gather on Sunday mornings, if you haven't spent time with God during the week, what are we doing here on Sunday? It's a question I ask myself. I'm asking you. Your spirit cannot truly be engaged without scripture. Or all you have is empty passion. Drink deep from God's word so that our soul is satisfied in God alone. Notice how the psalmist, if you read through the psalmist, the psalms, it's just amazing how the psalmist um, just pours himself out that he knows the ways of the Lord, and because he knows the ways of the Lord, there's this unashamed outburst of just deep, abiding love, just honest. Love and adoration and questioning of God because He knows the ways of God. He spent time with God and it just overflows in worship. I've been to several Reformed churches in my day, and our worship many times is so dead with knowledge, and our affections are not involved. And we say we know the great truths of Scripture, but it doesn't move us. It doesn't cause something to be set ablaze in our hearts. Taste and see that the Lord is good. I can intellectually look at a peach and go, that's a good peach. Peach. It looks very delicious. I bet it's sweet and juicy. But until I put my mouth into that thing and my tongue, the, the, the bumps, whatever they're called on our tongue, taste buds, start lavishing up that juice of that peach, I don't really know. And so I can't sing the praise of that peach because I don't know. It's until we've dug deep down into the word of God. Don't nibble. There is no prohibition in scripture anywhere that says hey you can just have a little bit of the food of the word of God. Just a little bit now. Don't get too much. Don't be a gluttonous when it that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says be a glutton when it comes to the word of God. Don't be like a bird and peck at the ground a little bit here and there in your field, and you go on your way, and we wonder why we're so defeated as Christians in the world. Because we're not digging deep. We're not eating much. We're not being full and fat on the word of God when we go out into the world. You should be so full of eating of God's word during the week that when you show up here on Sunday, Have you ever seen that emoji with the head that's like halfway popped off? Y'all know what I'm talking about? It's like exploded. It's like, oh, man, you just messed me up. That's what worship should be like on Sunday morning when we come to church. My head just explodes. My heart just bursts at the scene because of God. Because I spend so much time with him like, oh, my goodness. Did you know that's all music is for? If you're waiting on the music to get you to be moved to worship God, you got a problem with worship. Music is the avenue for which we ascribe to God his worth. It's not what gets us to the point of worship. It's God's word. That's spending time with him, being intimate with the Lord. It's just an overflow. Music is an overflow. That's why it's so beautiful. It's, It's from hearts that have just been singing, hearing the word of God and just Like, man, i got to get this out of me somehow. That's like preachers, right? I mean, my wife told me, she said, man, it's been over a year. They're in trouble this morning. I'm like, yeah, I know. It's just building up inside of me, and and, and that's what happens with music, and it's just the overflow of our heart to worship God because we've spent time and we know what he's done for us. Man, if you can't get excited about that, we've been redeemed, people. We've been set free. Oh death, where is your victory? No more sting. What is death? He has nothing on me because of Jesus. Not only should we overflow in worship, in spirit and truth, and I'm coming somewhere close to an end, but a life that is overflowing in worship will also overflow. And be moved to action. Man. Look at um, verse 31. So the woman in the well and they're all there. And the disciples are coming back up in verse 27. And the, the, the Samaritan woman, she's like, just throws the jar down. She's like, I'm out of here. i got to go talk to the people in town, and they're not going to believe what just happened to me. And the disciples are urging Jesus, hey, we went and got food. You need to eat. I love this. Jesus said to them, I have food to eat that you don't know about. They're like, heads just explode. Somebody bring him food? What's going on here? So the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him something to eat? And Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do not say there are yet four months and then comes the harvest. Look or behold, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. Have you ever been so carried away with your work? So consumed with your work that you didn't stop to eat? And so your work really became, and, and the hunger pains just kind of dissipated, and they just went away, and all of a sudden you're just you're in that world. And My wife is a CPA, and she's been coming home all hours, and, and she's like, I'm starving. Like You could eat lunch, you know? She's like, no, I'm consumed. I had to get this stuff done, and she's working and working. And, and so the, she's not hungry during the day because she's so busy. She's so caught up in her work, and she's passionate about getting it done. And this is exactly what Jesus is saying. He's like, look. Y'all been off lollygagging around in the city going to buy food, and I've been filled up doing the work of my father. I'm full. That's amazing. Disciples have no clue what they're talking about. Eat. She said, "I've been eating the whole time. You've been gone. My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. You see, he came to Samaria. He had to go to Samaria to be about the Father's work, to see to it that a woman sitting on a well would become a worshiper of God. And it filled him. It's like, man, this is the greatest thing ever. I get to see people saved, fulfilling the purpose for which God called them. Notice how he ties in the harvest thing there, you know, reaping and gathering. You want to eat? I think this is what he's telling his disciples. You want to eat? You want to be filled up to overflowing? The harvest is ready to be plucked. Go get it. It's ready. It's ripe. It's ready to be taken and eaten of. Go tell them about Jesus. The one who can redeem them and worshipers will be made. That's the food. That's what we're called to eat of. Let's see what this looks like. 28 through 30. Oddly enough, he gives us an example of what that whole eating thing looks like. The woman goes, she just leaves her well and in her haste, she goes back into the town. She's like, in verse 29, I can just see it. Hey! Come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? Can this really be the Messiah who's come to redeem us? And guess what happens? Y'all know the rest of the story? They come out with her to meet Jesus. Because of the woman's testimony, the Father chooses, the Son redeems, the Holy Spirit applies it to our life, but it is God's great pleasure to have us involved in the great missional work of telling people about Jesus. We get to participate in that. That's exciting. The God of the universe who spoke, who just said, let there be, and it happened. And, and galaxies far beyond anything that you or I could ever comprehend exist. Like 200 trillion light years away, there's these clusters of stars. And I'm not even going to go into all that. God has chose me and he's chose you to be the agents who take the gospel to the lost, the hurting, the downtrodden. And we get to participate in that. And notice what happens in her missional work. In 39 through 42, Jesus stays there two more days. Jesus hangs out with his town people. And verse 41 says, and many more believed because of Jesus, because his word. And they told her, it's no longer because of what you said. Now we know it to be true ourselves. We've spent time with him. And all of a sudden, there's worshipers all in this town. You see what just happened? We went from God's great redemptive plan from Genesis chapter 1 of making worshipers of the nations. And here's this woman that was the outcast of the world. And Jesus spent time with her and he said, You know what? I have compassion on you. I love you. And because of that, she went and took that message to a town. And then that town was just transformed. Transformed. I believe she was set on fire with a passion for God's glory. And it overflowed into action in the people around her. I'll never forget in 2010, Gerald and I took a trip into the middle of the Amazon jungle, not knowing what in the world we were getting ourselves into, but knew that God had placed just an overwhelming burden to reach the unreached And I'll never to this day, and many of you have probably heard me say this, but I'll never forget looking at that chief and he looking at us. And there was a guy there that was teaching something different than what we were. And we said, hey, we're going to be teaching something different. We just want you to know so there's no issues here. And he looked at us in the face. And I just praise God because we've been praying that God would give us a man of peace, that we could go into that village and there would be somebody there. And he looked at us and he said, look. Whether what you tell me is the truth or whether what he tells me is the truth is I don't know. I just want to know truth. I want to know what is the truth. And for the next, well, we're still doing it, opening up God's Word, just reading Scripture, and God has transformed a village who is now meeting in a church. Not a church building, they are a church that is worshiping God together. And they, a couple weeks ago, went to a neighboring village that's right up the road to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with them. See, they were impacted with the truth of Jesus Christ and it transformed their lives. I don't need to get drunk anymore. God has changed the way I interact with my wife and my kids. And it impacted that village and now it's gone to another village. And guess what? In a village that we were kicked out of, we were asked not to come back to, guess what? The chief is now taking the gospel to that, mess, to that village. Praise God. You never know what's going to happen when we live exponentially for the glory of God. When we stop being so timid and living in our bubbles, God can do great and mighty things and he wants to. And he wants you to be a part of it. The story is about a woman who encountered a man who was the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and the hope of salvation. She will never be the same, and, never, and neither will the village that she lived in. I ask you this morning how has your encounter with Jesus changed the world in which you live? Are you living in such a way that it moves people to the glorious realities of salvation through Jesus Christ so they will become true worshipers of God? That's why you were created. Everybody in this room, look at me. Everybody in this room, you were created for that great purpose. From the youngest to the oldest. If you're here this morning, you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And I plead with you every fabric of my being, every unction that I can give this morning, I plead with you. Today is the day of salvation. Repent, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ unto salvation, and you will be saved. You will be saved. I'm going to ask the elders, I'm going to do this a little bit different, I'm going to ask the elders if they'll come down front this morning, the ones that are assigned for today. They're going to be here this morning. I know I'm different. God loves you. If you're hurting this morning, Jesus Christ is the answer to your despair. The only answer. These guys want to share with you the hope that can be had in him. And if you have any questions, please come and ask. If you want to give your heart to Jesus Christ this morning, come and talk to us. It's free. Come and drink. You don't need money. Come and sit at the feet of Jesus. Don't wait. Christian, I appeal to you this morning. How are your affections for God? I know you read your Bible. I know. We're a Reformed church, that's what we do. I'm not asking that. Christian, how is your affection for God? Are you in love with the God of the Bible or are you in love with the Bible? There's a vastly immense difference between those two things. Is your heart growing warm, thinking about spending time with Him, making Him known? If not, then I ask that you would come down, that you would talk to the elders, that you would gather here at the front. I don't care, but get it right with the Lord. Ask Him to ignite the affections of your heart for Him. Do we want to see people saved? Are we praying to see people saved? Ask God to help you see people like he sees them, broken and headed to hell. Ask him to give you a passion to tell others about the love of Jesus Christ. I'm going to say this in closing. I pray that if you're a believer here this morning, that this message messes you up. And I can say that in the vernacular, in the common day, everyday language of our people. I hope this messes you up. I hope this encounter of this woman with Jesus messes us up for the rest of our lives. And I pray that there are people that are out here today that would say, you know what? I'm going to go. I want to go to the nations. I want to take the gospel to the unreached. There are over 6,000 unreached people groups right now that have not been contacted with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Unreached. Uncontacted people that need to hear about the love of Jesus Christ because if they don't, they're going to hell. You could be the one. You could be the one that God says, hey, I want you to take my gospel to this place. And it may be hard and it may be difficult but God will go with you and He will go before you. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Is that your war cry? Is that the trumpet call of your life? Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. The harvest is ready Go ignite a passion for the glory of God in all peoples, no matter what their religious affection, no matter what their ethnicity or their political position. Even if they hate you and want to kill you, go to them and share the love of Jesus Christ. Because that's what God has called us to do. Let's pray. Father, I pray that people have heard you. I pray pray that they've heard your plea to call sinners to repentance, to call Christians to reignite the flame of their heart. God, I pray that you would move, that this would not fall on deaf ears, that your word would penetrate deep into our hearts, and we would repent of our complacency. We would cast our affections upon you and go to the ends of the earth for your glory. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.